Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. And I'm Patrick Willems. On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be doing an Andor Season 1 postmortem. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, at decodingtv. So we obviously recapped the Andor Season 1 finale last week here on Decoding TV. Um, but I had a feeling that we would want to talk more about the show. Like there'll be stuff that has come up, uh, stuff we miss, stuff we want to mention, um, and do a postmortem on it. And in fact, my theory, my hypothesis has proven to be correct. Right, Patrick? There's just been a lot of chatter about the show that I think it's worth discussing. There's been a lot of chatter. Uh, the people involved in the show have done a lot of interviews yeah. uh, that we have read and watched and listened to. And I suppose, you know, there's there's more to say than uh, than we said in the last 10 episodes. <laughs> in the last 10 hours of podcasting. Uh, I mean, I want to reiterate again. Uh, I said this last week, but I want to reiterate um that uh, this this will be the last episode that Patrick and I do on a regular basis until and or season two. It's possible we might podcast again. I'll probably pitch Patrick a couple of other projects between now and 2024. Oh, my God. Which is when the next and or season is going to be coming out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this, this is going to be it for now. I do want to mention that during the course of this conversation – we may reveal things that are debatably spoilers for season two. Like they're, they're shooting it now. It's not done, you know? Um, so also, also to, to be very clear, we do not know anything that's not already out in the, the public. That's, sphere. Yeah. That's, but, but that's what I'm saying is like, if, if um, the stuff that we will be discussing is stuff that has been disclosed by Tony Gilroy in interviews and so on and so forth, but they are arguably spoilers. So if you don't want to know anything about season two, you should not listen to this conversation. But like it what I was gonna say is the show is still in the progress of being in process of being made. So anything that we have is super vague. It's it's possible it will change by the time season two comes out. So like right. I don't consider it spoilers, like what we're gonna discuss. But if you are very spoiler averse, I do want to just give that warning up top. Okay. Um all right, let's start with this, Patrick. Yes. Yes, David. Let's start with stuff that happened last episode that uh we are bummed we did not emphasize more or mention more or whatever and there's two big things that come to mind yes first of all we got a lot of emails uh, at decoding tv at gmail.com about the mon mothma scenes now a lot of, a lot of emails yes I, I would say in the dozens of emails about this topic oh my god um and i uh like i understood what was happening in the Mon Mothma scene, but I guess I didn't do a very good job of communicating. This is the frustrating thing is when you, when one gets something and then one gets an email saying like, Hey, I don't think you got this guys. And then I'm like, Oh, I got it, but I just didn't do a good job of communicating it. So the, in the last episode of Andor, we see Mon Mothma tell her driver, Chloris, Hey, Chloris, privacy, please. And then he puts up the little screen or whatever, uh, but he can still listen in. Mon Mothma knows that Chloris is listening in. I don't, I, I thought I made this clear on the podcast, but like, I think it is pretty clear. Mon Mothma knows Chloris is listening in and she uh, is listening in and she is selling out her husband Perrin in order to make him a possible 
a target for the empire if her financial doings ever come to light. That was my interpretation of that scene. A lot of people uh, didn't think we were clear on that. And I, Patrick, I don't think you even had this interpretation of that scene. Is that right? You know what? Uh, I'm just going to say that I also got this. Yeah, and enough. I also <laughs> just uh, decided not to mention it last yes, week. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a couple of notable, notable things about this, right? Like number one is that she this is her first kind of like actively going against her. Like it's been largely passive aggressive all season, but this is the moment when she's like actively putting him in jeopardy, like putting him in actual danger. Um, And that's notable. It's, it's a bit of a bummer. We never get a moment where she kind of reckons with that or like thinks or talks with someone about that. But I do think it's notable. And, And there's enough like track laid this season that you understand why she would not like him and be willing to throw him under the bus. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, to be fully clear here, Perrin sucks. <laughs> he like while there are you know uh, characters of the show who are worse people, who are who are crueler, who are more, more vile and loathsome. Uh, Perrin, I think, sucks more than any other character on the show. Yeah, um, more than any other character. The guy I mean, is just utterly useless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Nurchi, like sold out, you know, Andor. But I guess like he had, he had beef with Andor because Andor owed him money. So like, I can kind of understand that. That's kind of a reasonable beef. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Perrin is here just lounging around in his like luxurious homes and his luxurious clothes, like you know, negging his wife and inviting, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, her her political rivals over for dinner because they're fun. Uh, yeah, he he yeah. He's, he's just like an, he's just an asshole. Like he he's he's one of the only characters on the show who's an asshole. I would say so. I exactly. kind of agree with you. I kind of agree. I'm trying to like Miro and Cyril Karn. I you know, Every, okay. Here's, like, here's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Everyone at the ISB, while they are like objectively worse people, yes. like they commit atrocities. Yeah, I, least... I wouldn't say they're assholes though. Do you know what I'm saying? No, like. I, well, Blevin is. Yes. Um, oh, that's true. Blevin, yeah. another asshole. But right there, at yeah. least they have an ideology. At yes. least they have a thing they believe. I don't think say, say what you will about anything. the tenets. Of, say what you will about the tenets of the ISB. At least it's an ethos. Do you know? So, <laughs> that, thank you, David. You're welcome. You're welcome. So that's that's the one noticeable thing, notable thing is like she's selling out Perrin, throwing him into the bus. But the the other thing is she is doing it in addition. To also giving Davos Skeldon what he wants, right? Uh, and I think that's not- that's notable. Like that she's she's going all she's basically going all in on this at this point. Do you know what I'm saying? And and potentially here uh, losing her whole family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Losing Perrin and I mean we never see Mon with family in Rogue One or Return of the Jedi, as far as I recall, right? Right. Um, it's one of those things, like like knowing where she ends up, that she's going to resign her Senate her Senate seat. She's going to, you know, skip ahead five years, and uh, she's going to be there on in this like old temple base on Yavin Four. Um, I don't think her family is coming with her. Yeah, uh, that's probably true. That's probably true. So anyway, uh, that was a big thing that we got a bunch of messages about, and. Uh, I, I did understand that. Didn't make it clear in the podcast, and uh, I paid dearly for it, Patrick. I paid dearly for I'm, it. I'm okay. so sorry, David, but it has been acknowledged, and so I hope <laughs> these people are satisfied. Mm, I hope. Hopefully, I did not make any errors in what I just said. Okay. Don't, uh, also, the part that we're about to get into, 
we're not going to make any errors here. Absolutely okay, well, hold, hold on. So there's one other thing I wanted to mention before we get to this thing that you, you want to talk about, which is that another thing that I'm really bummed I didn't mention in our season one finale discussion is um, the opening theme song for Andor is the song that's used in the funeral procession for Marva. So, and we'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this later on, but this is basically like, we've been listening to the opening theme all season, different Which, instrumentation. Yeah, it does different change episode yeah, it's episode. changing episode to episode is different, has different shades and different accents and so on. And it's, it's kind of cool to, it's kind of cool to hear it. And, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's nice. You know, when I first heard it and then I'm like, woo, different, like different permutations and different, you know, throughout the season. And then the final episode retroactively makes you understand what the theme for the rest of the season has been, right? It, it, it is the funeral procession for Marva, um, which obviously is, you know, one of the things that, I mean, we don't know what the impact of the Ferex funeral is going to be, but I, right. I assume it will be somewhat of a big deal um, that all the stuff that happened in episode 12 happened on Ferex and, it will probably be one of the things that is talked about, you know, the Ferex Corpo massacre followed by the Ferex funeral riot. You know, like these will be things that kids in that universe read about. I assume, right? I, and um, I, and I, I fully assume in the textbooks they there will be a line about uh, <laughs> Brasso's brick smash, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the first funeral brick delivered to the face. Uh, of an imperial officer mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that's what that, really kicked off the rebellion that had marva's uh, ashes in it you know the, it's true uh, also i, I one- would, would love you know we talked we, we talked earlier this season about how we would love to be disposed did, did i ask you about how your remains should be disposed of did oh we, we had a that? long yeah. conversation about this yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, i yeah. learned that you have a very clear idea of what you want and i have not thought about it very much well uh i have changed my opinion i would love to be uh, my ashes to be encased in stone and then used to cave a fascist's head in. That's what I would love. David, if if you pass away before me, mm-hmm. I will do everything in my power to make your wish come true. I'm just saying that right now. I appreciate uh, Wow. Okay. Wow. That's, On the a, that's a tall order. Tall order, Patrick. But um, Okay. So those oh, are a couple. Yeah, go ahead. One other thing I want to mention, uh, talking about the music and uh, the 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 funeral march. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of interviews with with Tony Gilroy. I know you have as well, and I believe he mentioned that that piece of music, um, because they knew that had to be diegetic music, like mm-hmm. played within the show, like it actually like the characters can hear it. Uh, I believe you said that that was the first piece that Nicholas Bertel wrote for the show. Yeah. They, all, was, they always uh... knew it was like, even though he said that, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff like in the middle of the season, they, they had to, they, they figured out later on, like he always knew it was going to end up with this, this funeral. Yeah. And so they were always going to need that music. I was going to get to this a little bit later, but yeah, in an interview with Vulture and other people, he says, quote, uh, that, that he said to Nicholas Patel, quote, I need seven and a half minutes of music that I want played live by a civic amateur community orchestra, end quote. Um, but yeah, they, got that's, that's one of the first things they built. And they had a horn section and a flute section and they had choreography. Um, and you, you know, one, one thing I'm curious about, 
Um, so in our last episode, we talked about how much we enjoyed the space instruments, the space flutes, space yes. bugles, stuff like that. Yes. Uh, do you think those functioned at all? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. I assume yes. I assume yes. Because uh, what they look, they look like modded out regular instruments. They do. They look like a flute that you put like a bunch of stuff on to make it look more fancy. Right. But it's still a flute. Um, it's a but flute, yeah. but four times as heavy. I thought you were going to ask a different question. I thought you were going to ask, is the music that they played at the funeral technically jizz? <laughs> um, but I'm glad you did not ask that question. No, D- D- David, I I feel like I'm the guy who is supposed to be answering that question, and mm. I, I still don't really have an answer. Uh, I guess I, I need to... Look, by season two, I will have done a ton of research into the various musical genres of this galaxy <laughs> far, far away. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, if, if jizz is just jazz, then... Who knows? Uh, you know, is is their version of rock music Rick music? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'll find mm-hmm. out. Okay, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So the the Mon Mothma scene, the uh, the music uh, part, those are some things I really was like, oh man, I'm really bummed I missed those. Glad we have a venue to kind of talk about them now. Of course, there's much more to discuss. But Patrick Willems, what's something you regretted regretted not mentioning in our season one finale episode? I felt so stupid about this because when I was watching the episode, I made the mental note of, oh, I can't wait to talk about this, to spend probably 20 minutes of the episode devoted to this singular topic. And that is uh, that in episode 12 of Andor, we got some really good big hoods some uh, some excellent big hood action. Luthen mm-hmm. finally put up the big hood that he has on in the the official Andor poster. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that's that's it. I was just uh, you know, Got we've it. talked all season about about how, you know, the the secret to sneaking around a city in Andor is yes. oh, y- y- you have a coat, but it's got a big hood on it. Yeah. And um yeah. and a lot of people were sneaking around Ferrex and um yeah, we had some big hoods, and I, I was thrilled to see it. I do want to say that the way that Luthen puts on the hood in general is very invigorating. You know, he does it with gusto. I mean, watch how Luthen puts on the hood, and I guarantee you, um, you will be impressed. You will be impressed. So It's true. I'm, it's really making me think. So, you know, David, we each live uh, in, like, coastal cities where it, uh, you know, the temperature drops in the winter. And um, I'm really thinking, do I need do I need to get a new winter coat that has a big hood? Because currently, I mean, I, I have a parka with a hood, but I don't know if it's like a full like Andor size big hood. Mm-hmm. I mean, my answer to that question is unequivocally with no doubts. Yes. Yeah. So I, 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 I think you're right. I mean, look, there's a lot of good fits on this show. And um, and even though they're in a different galaxy. You know, a long time ago, I think, I think they they could have a major influence on a uh, modern fashion, and uh, and I'm gonna do what I can to delete the charge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. So when I am watching a show like Andor, and I see Luthen whip on that hood and. <laughs> Like he, like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing in his life. This is like when he feels the most alive. You know, that's the real Luthen. I bet you it feels electrifying. And <laughs> I bring that up because this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan. 
As a pioneer in the electric vehicle space, Nissan is always looking for ways to deliver new, meaningful technologies to EV owners. They don't quite have hyperdrives just yet, but I bet they're working on it. Mm -hmm. After all, Nissan has been making EVs since 1947, and their EVs have now traveled 8 billion miles by Nissan LEAF owners since 2010. 8 billion miles. That's the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. Think that's electrifying? One of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole, and Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows that you don't get an EV for just the E. You get a Nissan EV because it makes you feel electric, because it sparks your imagination. It ignites something within you. It pins you to your seat, and it takes your breath away. At least, that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs, like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design that electrifies its customers. I love Nissan's focus on creating a thrilling drive and an electrifying life. In today's world, it's so important to look around you, to pay attention, and to look at all the tiny ways that life can electrify you. Like, say, watching season one of Andor and listening to this podcast, how much more electric can you get? I, I can't imagine. Other than, Well, here, here's, the, here's the real question. Uh, David, do you think these Nissan vehicles... Could maybe make uh, the Kessel run in 12 parsecs? It's a good question. It sounds like they could. I'm going to go check on that. I'm going to go check on that. So anyway, a big thanks to Nissan for sponsoring this episode. Nissan EVs that electrify. All right, let's go back to the podcast and the the episode. I do want to mention that speaking of things going fast, which uh, is what we just talked about in our ad, if you're listening to the ad-free version, um... The uh, I, I, some people were confused, like why do we never go back to the the kyber crystal thing around uh, Andor's neck? You remember that? Like, uh, I'm curious if that's going to be an open thread for next season. Um, the the crystal thing, you know, you know what I mean? Like, there's like the, the crystal, crystal that, that that Luthen gave him, right? Yeah, that Luthen gave him the crystal. There's like uh, Andor's sister. There, there was Andor's sister been... feels like 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 the big one that I'm like. That has to be mentioned again. Yeah. Uh, I think Roxana Haddadi asked him straight up, like, are we going to talk about, like, are we going to revisit the question of Andor's sister? And he's like, I'm not going to answer that question. So it's like, okay. I think we probably are in some capacity. Yeah. Um, all right. Other big news that's happened or stuff that's been disclosed about the podcast, uh, about the show, I should say. Um One of the biggest pieces of, thing, of news is that... Um, Patrick Willem's YouTube, I'm sorry, Twitter profile, and by extension, this podcast, was linked to in a uh, Los Angeles Times article uh, by David Viramontes, uh, who published an interview with Tony Gilroy entitled, How Andor Saved a Stage the First Rebellion in the Star Wars Universe. And <laughs> so for, for those who don't know... Um, Patrick made, I don't even know what to describe it, a fan cam, a uh, montage? A fan, ca- a fan cam, uh, you know, a fan edit, a Twitter edit. Basically, yeah. um, I, I made a about 90-second uh, little montage uh, of, of our favorite ship, uh, Kiro, uh, Cyril Karn and Dedra Miro. Um, you know, footage that makes it, you know, that that kind of portrays their uh, their their bizarre maybe romance in in the show. And I set it to uh, the song "Mastermind" by Taylor Swift off the album "Midnights," and uh, 
it's probably the piece of work that David, earlier this year, I released a, a feature film I made. This video is probably the thing I'm most proud of that I've done all year. Mm. Mm. Um, Fascinating. And uh, I, uh, even though it got taken down uh, from Twitter, because as I expected it would because of, you know, copyright stuff, uh, currently Twitter in its uh, really <laughs> bad, broken state, uh, <laughs> copyright ID is still not working. And wow. so I just re-uploaded it to Twitter. Uh, I can't be stopped. Yeah, my guess is, right, like, so So Twitter has fired, I think, two-thirds of its, uh, or, or two-thirds of Twitter's workforce has f- been fired or laid off in the last month, basically. And yeah. so my guess is there's, like, some kind of trigger for, you know, Taylor Swift music. Like, if Taylor Swift music is played in a Twitter video, like, it will be triggered. Uh, and then somebody needs to manually review it and then decide to take it offline. And that manual person isn't there, is my guess. Nope. Right? So the Kiro fan cam lives again. He got taken down. It is now alive. And uh, you just go to twitter.com slash Patrick H. Willems, scroll through, go, click on media, just scroll down. You'll see it right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try to link to it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, in and, this in this interview yeah. uh, in the, the LA Times with Tony Gilroy, uh, he was asked about... Uh, you know, Karn and Miro, uh, and, 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 well, so to be clear, I, 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 Tony Gilroy did not see my video, but correct. the article, uh, referring to like online fan reactions yes. to them links to it. And honestly, j- just, just that alone delighted me. Yeah. I mean, that alone kind of justifies the existence of the podcast in yeah. my opinion, right? Like right there. But what's awesome about this is I can t- I, I, there's no audio or video of this interview, but I can tell that Tony Gilroy resents the question. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read you the question before and after it. Okay, here it is. Okay, so the question from David uh, David V, who writes: There are some characters in this that don't feel like people we've seen in Star Wars universe before. How did you discover Cyril Karn and Dedra Miro? And then Tony Gilroy says, Cyril comes around because I need an adversary fast. Can I make the worst day of Cassian Andor's life? What's that like? I want to challenge the audience. I want to challenge the studio a little bit and put a very bold move at the top. I do almost all my sketching and dialogue, so I'll just write that out. He just sort of popped up and came alive. I go, what if he's like Javert, obsessed like in Les Miserables, chasing Cassian Andor through the whole thing? That's a good energy. Let's see how that goes. Dedra, you know, I needed some Nazis. As we really built out Dedra in our little writer's room, we were like, oh my God, she's a woman in this place and no one takes her seriously and she's working harder than anybody else and she's not getting credit for it. And then we got to where she turns. We were really like, oh my God, wow, we were rooting for her a minute ago. Okay, so that's the the preamble. Then David V asks, I'm curious to know if you saw any of the social media reaction to these characters. People wanted to see Cyril and Dedra together. And then Tony Gilroy says, yeah, well, they get together, don't they? And then David V asks, the tension in that finale scene after he saves her was so palpable. Was there ever a take where they kissed? Tony Gilroy says, no, 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 no. He has that stalker scene where he grabs her arm and stops her. And it's really kind of assaultive and wrong. All of that's in play. But underneath it all, you could see that Denise Goff is actually playing. Nobody has touched me in years. The touch is really why she's freaked out. End quote. So, uh, hey, I'm just going to say, just like uh, in the Taylor Swift song, the touch of a hand lit the fuse. Mm-hmm. It's it's so true. I think um, oh, here, here's here's a fact though, Patrick. Like I I agree with you. I don't think Tony Gilroy has seen the fan cam video, 
but this question would not have been asked to Tony Gilroy if it were not for the fan game video. That is that is probably true. So you played a role, and and by extension, we played a role in mildly irritating <laughs> Tony Gilroy during this Los Angeles Times interview. I, I mean, I think we should pat ourselves in the back. Job well <laughs> done. The Bravo past three months, us. all worth it. Yes. Because, I mean, the, the thing, like, the whole point of the fan cam uh, mm-hmm. was to, like, because, you know, people people make those types of videos, like, very sincerely because yes. they, you know, they really care about, about like, you know, a, a relationship on the show and really seeing characters get together. And I, you know, as we've talked about a lot, uh, because these three people are are such like vile, awful weirdos. Uh, the idea, like the idea of them like falling in love, is so such a cursed idea that the joke of the fan cam was, "What if I could, you know, make make a video that seems very sincere, but about the most cursed ship there <laughs> there possibly is?" Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's the kind of thing where like i feel like if tony gilroy I, I doubt tony gilroy watches a lot of fan cams i mean i don't and he's like twice my age um <laughs> and so uh i feel like if he saw it he might be like oh god do people like r- did people get the wrong idea from the show did they actually like like these people mm-hmm. and so it's probably better that he doesn't watch it yes. uh but i'm glad i'm glad that we could sort of reach him in this way yeah I had another thought I wanted to share about the the season one finale. I should have I should have opened with this, but it it did it did occur to me like, you know, I didn't love the finale as much as you did and many many people did, and I've been trying to puzzle out why in the week since, right? Mm-hmm. And I, what I said on Twitter uh, was like, it felt like the finale was interrupt, like it felt like it was interrupted. You know, it felt like kind of a transitional episode, um, and. I think that really does sum it up. It, like we got a pretty good arc for Cassian this season. I thought like very satisfying. And so obviously the show is awesome. Like it's, it's still my favorite show on TV or, it, you know, is at the end of the year, it will probably be my number one or number two or number three show on TV for 2022. But I really did think that we started to feel the limits of this three episodes at a time storytelling by the end of the show. Right. Um, what's great about it is you have like, brilliant auteur writers and directors coming in and doing their work for the show. And it's amazing. But the problem is that on a week to week basis, unless you're doing a podcast with Patrick Willems about it, I think it can be pretty unsatisfying. And I did get a lot of messages from people being like, yeah, like I watched, you know, two episodes and I was like, you know, where is this going? I have no idea. Like it really needs to be watched in those units, in my opinion, to be like fully enjoyed. You know what I'm saying? I do. I, I I mean, I think I think when it comes to, I'm not sure I entirely agree. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I I agree when it comes to the first three episodes. I think you really need to see the first three together. Uh, they basically function like a movie. Like I thought it was very strong. Okay, I liked the idea that uh, they that Disney was actually airing like over Thanksgiving aired. Uh, the beginning of the show on like broadcast TV. Yeah, you could also watch it on Hulu. You could watch the first two episodes of Andor on Hulu if you wanted yeah. to. Over th- yeah. yeah, they're making an effort to like you know to to put it in, like to get people to watch it through other channels. But I thought it was so strange that they only put the first two episodes on TV because I'm like, yeah. guys, it's the third episode that's gonna hook everybody. Yeah, yeah. But I, I 
I will I say think they they wanted people to like pay to get that one is my guess, right? I, but it's I like, guess, but yeah. it but it's like, look, th- then I agree with you. I agree with you. You yeah. really needed to put the first three online. Yeah. Um. I I will say I you know in in this age of uh TV that 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 uh, that so often feels like you know we've heard so many showrunners say like oh see this show is really like a ten hour movie yeah uh our 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 shows that just seem like to take forever to get anywhere are like maybe they'll have like an eventful finale but it'll like we've seen like in this this era of TV we've seen a lot of like like 10 episode shows or 10 episode seasons that seemed very like frustratingly paced and for me uh and or while not entirely the like old-fashioned episodic like one story per episode kind of thing it felt so refreshing just to actually get like like climaxes of stories multiple times throughout a season yes to actually get like distinct chapters as it went on and uh it in general, I I actually I've got to say I like e- even though like once we kind of you know got to understand how the pacing was going to go, uh, where you know especially like in the second dark, where after the first episode we're like, oh well, then maybe the heist will be the second episode, and yeah. uh, and then the aftermath will be the third one. But then honestly, but then like I remember like talking about this with you, and we watched the sec like episode five, the second episode of the heist arc, and we were just like, oh no, that it was actually a really essential episode. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no regrets there at all. And it's been interesting because um, I think what we predicted would happen has started to happen, which is that Andor word of mouth has really started to spread, and mm-hmm. more people like multiple friends of mine were just texting me like over like last week like like over thanksgiving just about how they were like binging the show and like mm-hmm. finally catching up on all of like watching it all in a day and people are really getting into it and um and it's just like i figured this would happen but i but i i, I imagine the show is probably very satisfying as like a binge watch yeah totally 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 um and I agree. It's you know we got like four great set pieces, and that's like kind of rare. To, four great set pieces with like awesome buildup. So like yeah. that is not you know easy to do, and it's it's notable and great that the show did that. But I think that okay, so uh, to to be more specific, right? Like plot lines, like what happens with Cyril Karn and Miro, right? What happens with Vel and Sinta? Um, those are things that felt like. I was not really satisfied by the ending we got there. We it's not like we got nothing for those characters, but like um Tony Gilroy has revealed that there will be a significant time jump between season one and season two. Um so I'm gonna I've already said this might be spoilery for season two, but like he has revealed that there's probably gonna be around a one year time jump. And uh, another thing one. that he said is that every character who's alive at the end of this yes. episode will be back. So yeah. so they're not gonna we're not going to roll into season two and they'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe Luthen died. Yeah. Although he did say he will not promise how long that character is alive. So like right. literally Luthen might die in the opening scene of next season. Right. But it like, could happen. Yeah. But, David, but anyway, my, 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 oh, my, my point just being like, uh, just to wrap up the point and which like, I don't know that many people agree. I, I, I got some agreement in the tweets, you know, but people being like, um, yeah, it felt like this was a transition to like whatever comes next. But the thing is, we're not going to get, the next episode of Andor, like the next episode will not be what happens next. It will be a year from now. And so that's why I feel like, Oh, it feels like the story is just interrupted. And then we're just going to jump a year. 
Um, so that's why that, that, that's kind of what I was trying to articulate during our last episode that I don't know if I did a great job of it. You anyway. know what? Um, I, I, I was thinking about this and I think that there's, I think I figured out the, the relatively simple solution that would have satisfied you. Mm-hmm. What is that? I still, I, I have, I, I haven't figured out every detail of this because I, I imagine that we'd still want the show to end on the moment it ends on. Yeah. Uh, that That's still, I feel like, where you have to leave off. But if it had had one of those, like, Lost-style end-of-episode montages that kind of, like, checks in with all the characters to show, like, mm-hmm. where they're going from here, yeah. or maybe, like, like the thing is, we have that with Mon Mothma. We, we get that, where it's like, and then uh, Davos yeah, Skeldon's exactly. family arrives, and we have that. But if we had one of those, you know, maybe set a couple days later, showing, like, what do Vel and Sinta do? And, and like, it could yeah. be, these could be, like, a 20-second thing per episode. I will say, uh, the OC always did these really well, usually, yeah. you, you know, with, like, some, like, hot indie rock song playing and the end of episode montage showing what every how every character is feeling. And if we just had that, and then we return to, like, the final scene with Cassian and Luthen, I think that would pretty much take care of your issue. I agree. And they actually did something very similar at the end of episode three, if you recall correctly. Like, yeah. after the Ferrex thing, they did like a quick check in with every single character, and it was very powerful and very well done. Um, so, yeah, anyway, um, the, the show is awesome. Uh, but I, I kind of like, ooh, I found the finale a little bit unsatisfying. I've been trying to like figure out why that is. And so that's why that is. Thanks for letting me articulate it. Yeah. Um, thanks for I your you had the bonus episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Oh, oh. There's one thing that I would like to talk about that i find fascinating go ahead i uh did you read this this article i don't know if it dropped today uh from empire magazine uh, about the show and there's they interviewed like the cast and crew and all that i was literally about to bring that up yes uh, this okay. is the D- denise goff interview did you talk, yes. is that what you're talking about yes uh so we can use we're gonna use explicit language on this episode of the podcast so go ahead oh, oh, okay okay yeah. I, I i i was preparing to like censor <laughs> yeah. myself yeah yeah no so go ahead Apparently, um, when when Marva's speech, uh, you know, play like her hologram speech plays yes. during the funeral that gets everyone all riled up. And in the in the show, in the final released episode, mm-hmm. uh, her speech ends with her uh, like. Telling telling the crowd saying, uh, fight the Empire, and then it kicks it all off and they all fight the Empire. Apparently. When this was shot on set, uh, what they all heard was Fiona Shaw saying, ending her speech by by proclaiming "fuck the empire." Yes, and uh, and Denise Goff says, "Like that's that's what I heard when I was there," and I am fascinated by this. If you if you go back and you look at at the footage and you look at like in in slow motion, uh, like. Uh, Fiona Shaw's mouth moving. It, it, you, you can, you can tell. You, you can see that she is, n- is not saying fight. Um, and I'm fascinated by this because, obviously, like, the, the, uh, there was a bit of a stir in after episode three, uh, when Linus Mosk uh, became the first character in Star Wars history to say shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Wars has always been. They say hell. They say damn. 
uh kind of funny because like what 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 is hell they say and, they say nerf herder you know but exactly yeah. uh it, as, as we've learned in andor they say bastards a lot um but this was the first time shit was ever said and um i'm what i'm, I'm fascinated by is that surely you know like th- th- this is a giant franchise uh inside you know a like the world's biggest media conglomerate and uh and there are a lot of people who have to sign off on 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 various things and so i'm wondering did they send the script through lucasfilm with the actual with the explicit f dash 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 mm-hmm. and was that approved and then it wasn't because like they shot it and yeah. uh uh, like, or did like I don't know Tony Gilroy like, say like, "Hey, let's sort of sneak one past him and and like, but but also the way the way it goes is they clearly for the hologram with Marva they had to shoot Fiona Shaw ahead of time, mm-hmm. the, uh, her footage, and then like, well, pl- mm, I wouldn't assume that Patrick. Like maybe, um, if Denise Goff heard it on set, that yeah, but they could they could have done they could, yeah, I mean. Uh, I, I will just say this. There's a possibility they could have done the hologram separately than the audio. Okay. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, totally. But I uh, or, or even even filming the holog like filming the hologram components. They could have done a, they could have done the audio first. They're like Denise, just save this into your iPhone, and then like and then we're gonna try to sync it or do a different version when we do the hologram. Or all something totally like that, possible. Right? But yeah, basically, yeah. they had already they had some recording of Fiona Shaw saying it and were yeah. playing it on set. Not Denise uh, Fiona Shaw. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, for you know the the cast and crew to hear, and so I'm just very curious about like were there was there a real internal discussion at Lucasfilm about like do we because look the show is is basically like PG thirteen level yeah. of of like a you know um, language co- and violence yeah. exactly and you know you can uh like like the MPAA well even though this is not actually being rated by the MPAA uh they will allow in a PG-13 movie, one non-sexual usage uh, of, of, you know, the F word. Uh, and so I'm wondering, like, at Lucasfilm, were they like, do we do this? Do we do we take this step? Uh, do we do we put this in there? Um, because, like, like, for instance, in recent years, they've started, you know, putting, like, profanity just like that in Star Trek, which is something that had never happened until, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, four years ago. And um, that would be a big thing for Star Wars. It didn't happen, but I'm just—I I, I would love to get the the oral history of the f bomb that almost happened. Yeah, I think they just want to do what they can to keep Star Wars a family franchise. You know, is but you're right. It is weird that it was written, it was filmed, it was record like audio. At least audio was recorded, possibly video too, uh, and then it didn't make it, it all the way through. Um, but yeah, I do think for a lot of people, it would take it up to, you know, I don't know that people would like, yeah, I I, I am, I am supr- continue to be shocked at who might be bothered that it has the F word in it. But I can imagine uh, in my, if I stretch my imagination, I can imagine someone who is not bothered by all the violence and implied torture um, <laughs> and brutality uh, but is bothered by the F word. And the, those are the people who are there serving with. This I show, mean, right? they're, uh, that word appearing in Star Trek has caused some real controversy inside like fan communities because, and, and, and I do kind of get it because, 
you know, Star Trek has generally always been very sort of like PG, like pretty much family. Like there's been a specific tone to, to all of it. And to suddenly throw in like very like harsh profanity does seem like a little bit jarring, uh, you know, against like 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 in this world that's all where language has only ever been a certain way. So I do like I, I feel like. To an extent, some of this isn't isn't like oh, think of the children, and more just like it feels weird to suddenly change yeah. up the language that we've we've had for like fifty years. Yeah, uh, I I agree, and it's like and 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 it's not like to say you should never do anything like that, right? Um, but also like for what benefit and at what cost, right? Right, like and it's like what what's the benefit here? You know, it doesn't. If it's marginal, I would argue, you know, like it would have been a really satisfying moment. It'd be like, yeah, but like, it's already really satisfying, you know? And, and also I, I think to an extent, um, it might've just, dis- uh, distracted from the moment because people would be like, oh my God, they've never said that word in, in star Wars before. Right. And just be thinking about the usage of the word and not like the emotion of the scene. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I bet these are all conversations that happened behind the scenes. Indeed, indeed. Well, on that note, um, speaking of changing stuff, we did get a few emails at decodingtv at gmail.com. Like I already mentioned all the Mon, we got a lot of Mon emails, but here's an email from Matthias that I thought was interesting. Matthias writes in, a little late on this email, but I've been thinking about this through the entire series and I wasn't sure how to bring it up. I loved Andor, and it seems the consensus is this is one of the best Star Wars productions in a while. But one question I had was watching the sh- while watching the show is, where are all the other species? I'm not sure exactly what to call them, aliens, non-humans, but there's clearly a lack of them throughout the show in terms of main characters. Normally, we have a good amount of supporting characters or leads that are non-human. At the very least, you would think there are plenty of opportunities to have a bunch of actors and makeup running around. None of the heist crew were non-human. None of the prisoners were non-human. There was definitely a lack of aliens on Ferrix, where we spent a lot of our time, and the few we were introduced to early on were left out of the finale. I find this really strange. I don't think it's unintentional. Either Tony Gilroy, the showrunner, doesn't like aliens, and therefore decided not to deal with them, or there's an in-universe reason for this, despite them never bringing any attention to it. The Empire is notoriously, quote-unquote, racist against non-humans, and perhaps they were just being killed off or put in other facilities as prisoners. Perhaps they're simply uh, being considered slaves. I'm curious if anyone else got this message in the show, or if anyone else picked up on the lack of other species represented. It's a strange choice, considering there's normally a lot more species running around. The fact that they are never shown to be part of the growing rebellion or even supporting characters is surprising to me. I also wonder if this is passing people by and why people are latching onto the show so strongly. Do we think this is an intentional and in-universe thing or a production reason for leaving them out? We'd love to hear your thoughts, end quote. Uh, at first, I was just like, you know, my first reaction to this was, what, like, do we need aliens to tell the story? But the more I thought, it, like, this is a very reasonable email of, like, in Star Wars in general, there are a lot of alien creatures, non-human alien creatures. But no, there's no major non-human alien creatures that we know of in the show. Maybe some of them are aliens that look like humans, but like most of the most, like the that overwhelming doesn't usually happen in Star Wars. Yeah, it's uh, usually yeah. you know it's humans, and that yeah. like, like the closest we come to you know to aliens that look like humans are like 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 Twi'leks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, with their like tentacles coming out of their heads. And uh, I mean, this this has been brought up before. Uh, Tony Gilroy was asked about it. There is a Collider piece from during the Narkina Five arc, uh, and uh, he had he he doesn't go into a lot of detail. Have you seen this, David? No, tell me. 
Uh, so, the, I mean, the headline is why Andor doesn't have many Star Wars aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, he's asked about it. Um, but and, and he mostly gives like a kind of practical explanation. Uh, he says, in some places, people were saying, oh, why is Narkina 5 all humans? Well, I don't know how you would work out the bathroom on the floor with eight different varieties of genitals or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it has to be that way. A system like that, maybe there's Narkina 2 where there's different things. We're mm-hmm. probably a little shy, a little bit shy about it because it's such a behavioral show. And most of our principles are in this particular world. And certainly the Empire doesn't have a surplus of aliens on their side. It's, um, I mean, my theory for this is, uh, is that, and I, I don't know if I fully agree with this, but I, and, and I, I say this as someone who loves the show. My guess is that Tony Gilroy is concerned that having like, you know, like, uh, that, that, that doing like the, the, the intense, like often emotional scenes that they're doing on Mm -hmm. the show, uh, but having one of the characters be, I don't know, a Nemoidian or whatever, they're not going to, they're not, they're not bringing Nemoidians <laughs> back, but like, I don't know, a Gungan uh, would, and would be like distracting and like take people out of this and they wouldn't take it seriously because he started, he's like, despite this being set in a galaxy far, far away, it's very much, it's, it's funny. It, like it is very much trying to be like a grounded <laughs> kind of like dirty yeah. gritty show, which is the kind of thing that I'm usually so sick of hearing people describe movies and TV shows as, but I'm like, Oh no, this isn't, this is one of the exceptions where like the grounded gritty thing is actually uh good. And, and uh, that's, that's a good choice. But um, that, that is my guess. Uh, there's it, it does also remind me uh there was uh, a good article on polygon a few weeks ago that matt patches wrote um called how jar jar binks ties into andor which is basically it's a humorous article it's mostly about just reminding like us that with all this stuff happening in andor don't forget that at the same time in this universe jar jar binks is there he's out there he's doing stuff He's uh he 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 might I, I believe he might be in the Galactic Senate at this point. So he's not far away. Never forget that uh that 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 you know wacky old Jar Jar Binks is is just a stone's throw away from all the gritty intense stuff happening on Andor. All right. Well I don't David, do you have a theory about uh lack of aliens? I I think all the stuff that you know I think what you said uh, makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I don't think Tony Gilroy has really made anything with a lot of aliens, right? Rogue One, I don't. Did Rogue One have a lot of aliens? I don't remember. I, it had like, you know, the no. people on the ships near Scarif at the end, right? But like, all the major characters were non-aliens. Yeah, right? the crew of yeah. Rogue One, like, yeah, uh, the what, what their nickname for the ship, uh all humans yeah Uh, like the closest thing to an alien is really um tubes uh you know the guy who works for saw (laughs) guerrera yeah yeah i I don't know i I guess i just it it just feels like um it doesn't feel like what tony gilroy would prioritize like tony tony gilroy is like let's actually have like multicultural human representation you know Mm -hmm. like like that's more important to him than than having a lot of aliens in the show, and we have like we have all you know humans of all different ages and sizes and uh, colors and um, sexual orientations, you know, yeah. in in the show, and it's it's wonderful. 
Um, and and I think it's like you can you can prioritize that. Ideally, you also prioritize aliens, but like as we already said, there's over a hundred speaking roles in the show, and so like. You know, it, I just don't think it was high on his priority list. It's hard enough. My my guess is it's hard enough to tell the story with just humans. You know, like yeah. Um, and, and the so, thing is, they are like the aliens that are there. Whether they're the Corellian hounds on Ferrex or those those guys on Narkina Five, like they're great. The aliens that we do have are great. Uh, and hey, may, maybe in season two, probably, I assume that we'll see a bit more of the developing. I said, well, I think we'll see a lot more of the developing rebellion. Uh, maybe there'll be some aliens in there. Maybe, I mean, you know, maybe we'll see more of Mon Mothma dealing with, you know, uh, alien senators from other planets. Well, on that note, Tony Gilroy has disclosed that, like, what season two will largely be about. Like, he he has said season two, like, Andor's arc towards the Empire, or or, sorry, towards the Rebellion is complete as of this season. Like, there's not going to be any more, is Andor going to join the Rebellion? Like, that is over. In his mind, it's already done. He's already going to be like part of the rebellion in season two. Season two is going to be about some of the stuff that Saul Guerrero talked about. Like, how do you unify these various factions and so on? Like, that's what season two is going to be about. Um, how do you get all these different groups coming together to fight the Empire, right? So, um, okay. A couple of other questions here. Uh, and or, uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> Fran writes into decodingtvgmail.com. I had a question I'm hoping uh, I'm able to sneak in for your recap show with Patrick. Which off-screen character has the better chance of being someone that we ha- actually have already met? Andor's sister or Uncle Harlow? I have a sneaking suspicion that Cinta could be Cassian's sister in some big reveal. I've been wondering if that was the reason for keeping her around. Uh, from And also, from the moment we heard Uncle Harlow, Harlow's name, my mind began worrying with who it could be. And for some reason, I desperately wanted it to be Luthen, though I think that's unlikely with how the season panned out, end quote. Do you think Uncle Harlow and or Andor's sister are characters we've already met? I don't think so. But I just, it's a fun theory. Like, it's fun to think about, but I just am curious if you had any thoughts. I don't. Uh, I mean, we see uh, Cassian's sister when she's young. Yeah. Uh, in the flashbacks early on, um, and I'm I'm assuming if she shows up as an adult, it'll be uh, a probably it'll be the same like ethnicity, right? It'll probably, probably be another probably. like a, a, <laughs> yeah. a Mexican actress, um, and uh, 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 and I'm oh, oh oh my god, and and uh, the actress who plays Cinta uh, is obviously Indian, um, yeah. uh, and I believe is it uh, what is oh yeah uh, Vara I. I I heard her say her name in an interview, and I, I want to get the pronunciation right. Uh, Varada Sethu, I believe, yeah. is how you say her name. Um, yeah. And I don't, yeah. Uh, so d- d- simply based on the fact that uh, she is Indian and not Mexican, I, she's not going to be Cassian's sister. Um, I no, I, I mean, I feel like that this goes back to like the, you know Easter egg type stuff that we've talked about before. Just like uh, that kind of like I, I, I guess Vel being Mon Mothma's cousin. Was a bit of a that was a bit of a surprise there, but 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 doing something like and we finally meet Uncle Harlow and it's Luther like that seems like a, too too far removed from mm-hmm. like the kind of thing Gilroy is interested in. I would agree with that. I'd agree with that. Rogerio writes into decodingtv at gmail.com from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. This podcast is international, Patrick. I love it, um, but. I was talking about how in last episode, it's weird that it took the Empire 
like 15 years to build the, or 20 years to build the Death Star uh, the first time. And then it took them only like four years to build the Death Star the second time. And Rogerio writes, uh, that was always something that bothered me when growing up. But then in 1997, the movie Contact came out and explained this to me. In that movie, an expensive machine was built to send an astronaut into space, uh, but it's blown up by a terrorist. Jodie Foster's character receives a call from the billionaire that was one of the sponsors of the project. And he, re- he reveals to her that a second machine was built in secret. And he says to her, the first rule in government spending is, why build one when you can have two at twice the price? So I think that was always the plan from Emperor Palpatine. Profit, profit. That's what corporate villains do. End quote. I love that as an explanation. Like, you know, yeah. why, why build one when you can have two twice the price? But it's it basically like the. It sounds like a nonsensical tautology, but what it is is like the there. There is a massive amount of work to even get to the point where you can build one. Yeah. So if you can build two and like not duplicate the work it takes to get to the point where you're starting building one. Um, you should do it, even if it costs twice as much. Um, so anyway, I thought that was a great, great point. I agree. Speak- Speaking of great points, Bjorn Hoppe. Bjorn Hopp? I'm not sure how to pronounce. Anyway, Bjorn writes into youtube.com slash decoding TV. Um, I know this podcast is the birthplace of the Karn slash Miro ship, but the reason why Karn and Mosk swap hats is because they're soulmates. Watch their first scene together again and tell me that's not the horniest scene in all of Star Wars. Cyril thinks he wants Dedra when his true love was in front of him all along. Tragic. End quote. Was Linus Mosk actually Cyril Karn's soulmate all along, Patrick? Uh, potentially. What I'm realizing... Okay. David, <laughs> can I just say what I want now for yes. season two so bad? I hope that... Because Dedra feels like an obligation to thank Karn for saving her life, that she hires him for like a lower level job at the ISB. So she's his superior, but he's working there. And Mosk also gets a job there. And I want Mosk to to, to try to be Karn's wingman mm-hmm. to like, uh, you know, because he like obviously has a crush on Dedra. Um, I, 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 because Mosk is like the, he's, he's kind of the, the more like, you know, confident guy. He's, he's, he's like, a, he's a better public speaker. Uh, I, I want to see them at the bar at the end of the day with him trying to give dating advice to Karn. And, uh, and then what, what we will realize as the, the audience is that like, this is the true love story between mm-hmm. these two bros here. It's like, do you watch Succession? I, yes, I, I watched Succession. It's like you know the real love story is between Tom Wamsgams and and cousin Greg, right? Like <laughs> exactly. This is a very similar style romance. Uh, I I hope it doesn't get as uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, Tom treats Greg pretty poorly sometimes. I mean, everyone <laughs> in Succession treats everyone poorly, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. uh, I like you know what? I don't think uh, Linus Mosk would. would would ever be as mean uh, to Cyril as as Tom is to cousin Greg. Uh, that's true. That's true. But you know, d- underneath all that meanness, you can tell they really love each other. Yeah, you know, that's exactly. that's the most important thing. Uh, okay, let's just do one or two emails here. This one comes in from Colin, who writes into decodingtv@gmail.com uh, regarding the post credit scene from last episode, uh, where you see that 
what Andor was helping to build was the Death Star, which, by the way, makes it interesting because it means Andor is the person that both helped to build and destroy the Death Star, right? Yeah. Uh, Colin writes, quote, I agree with everything you guys said about it, and I just wanted to add that for me, the biggest impact that that reveal had on me was now, whenever I see the Death Star in any of the movies, I'm going to think about how every rivet and bulkhead on that moon-sized space station was probably assembled by a normal person with an entire life that was scooped up and enslaved by the Empire. The sheer scale, this machine of exploitation must be to produce that installation. Uh, and probably every ship and facility in the Empire is staggering. It's these depths of understanding that spin-off material should always be striving to provide. It's how you know Andor was truly successful in what it set out to do. Um, Colin also continues, I've been thinking about the theory that Luthen is a former Jedi. This is 100% speculation. What makes me think that, uh, sorry, uh, I think if this was the case, he would have had left the Order well before the Empire was established. He's so entrenched and established in the world of anti-government subterfuge that he must have been doing it for decades at this point against the Republic even. I would guess he was unhappy by the Jedi's cozy, complacent relationship with the Senate and left early in his Jedi career. This would explain how he evaded Order 66 since he would have had decades to disappear and establish a new life and identity. Also, if his little odd wooden baton thing he really is his lightsaber, it would further evidence be further evidence of the theory because wood in lightsaber hilts is an element you often see in older hilt designs. Again, 100% guessing. I'd be totally satisfied if this wasn't the case at all. It's just fun to think about, end quote. So that comes from Colin at decodingtv.gmail.com. Uh, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on the is Luthen um I mean, Luthen I, a, I, I still don't think he's a lightsaber. I, I mean, I just don't think he's a Jedi. Yeah. Uh, I think Tony Gilroy was asked about this as well. Mm, okay. And um, uh, also, I, I again, I'm not an expert here, but I believe like, wooden elements on hilts of lightsabers that is an older element but uh like an older design choice but i think that was like hundreds of years earlier not just mm. like 10 years earlier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i think i think that's more like a i don't know maybe like an old republic type thing yeah yeah but uh again i'm not i'm not the expert um yeah i think i i i feel like i remember Gilroy mentioned are being asked about like the stick thing that Luthen had and him just saying like I don't know he needed some kind of weapon and they, and they made this stick and I was like that looks good yeah and, uh, but but maybe he maybe he's just being cagey maybe maybe yeah. there is going to be a big twist anything could happen but I like he did also say in an interview that uh the you know people you know uh, one of the pieces of evidence I saw you know people had for him being a Jedi were the the like power beams that come off of his ship that slice the TIE fighters in half. And Tony Gilroy said that uh, that wasn't even in the script. That was just an idea that the VFX team put together. And he was like, mm-hmm. that's cool. Keep, yeah. Let's keep, let's keep it in. Interesting. Interesting. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Roxana Haddadi interview uh, that she did for Vulture with Tony Gilroy. Uh, there is just so, this is a great interview and there's just so many great sort of pieces in the interview um, I already talked about the score a little bit. Um, the time jump for next season as well. I wanted to mention like when next season will take place. Um, so as I said, he says the issue we will not. So so um, the issue we will not examine in season two is Andor's commitment to the rebellion. It will be about many other things. Uh, and specifically, I think. Let me see. Um, Sorry, I didn't. I got. I, I thought I had this right at my fingertips, but it's okay. uh, I don't have it. Um, but anyway, okay. Let me I, let me skip to another point. 
one of the questions that's asked, you know, that we've discussed is, hey, is the uh, first sentencing order direct or the um, the uh, uh, public order resentencing directive? Is that like the Patriot Act or, you know, uh, Roxana says like. Uh, are the the torture sequences made her think of Abu Ghraib, right? Like, and she says, "Am I being too specific?" And Tony Gilroy's response is, "You could point at that, but there's three thousand years of recorded history too. You can go to the Montagnards, you can go to the Urgun, you can go to the African National Congress, you can go back to the Roman Revolution, changing people's sentences, fascism, oppression. You can pull everything. Some things are more germane for what we're doing now for the second half, but watching revolutions come together and watching political factions within them, there's a universal truth. There's almost never just one forward motion. There are all kinds of people moving in different directions. These are universal concepts, end quote. Uh, He makes a very similar point in this Los Angeles Times interview. And you can tell he's like, uh, the way these work is uh, showrunners, directors, they often give a bunch of these interviews at once. Mm-hmm. And you can tell they're being asked the same questions. And you can tell sometimes they're being annoyed by asking the same same questions over and over again. And the Los Angeles Times, he, he like gets annoyed that like that we're trying to find contemporary analogs. Because he's basically like, there's thousands of years of, he says 3,000 years of recorded history. The wheel of recorded history is just a roulette wheel that keeps coming up black, end quote. Right? Yeah. So, it's, um, so the, the, these are ahead. things that are. In, I think what he's saying is these are things that are inherent in human nature, basically. Like there's nothing about America or the modern world condition that is creating these things. It's like humans have always done shitty, terrible things, and, and, and in the way they described the show. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah. Uh, like I, I know we both listened to uh, the the three episodes he did on uh, the Q and A podcast with Jeff yes. Goldsmith, uh, which he did like throughout the season, like after like every five or six episodes, and um, and unsurprisingly, this question also came up there, and uh, and when he and I, I you know I don't have the exact quote because it's an audio podcast, uh, but it's it's worth listening to. But what he basically said was he he was like, look, I'm an old white guy. I read a lot of history books. I'm like very interested in history and, and this stuff, like, you know, like same thing. It's like, you know, this kind of thing has been happening all throughout history. And, uh, but he was also saying like, you know, at, he said, uh, something along the lines of, um, you can easily tell what my like political views and leanings are from watching the show, but it's not meant to be like an of the moment commentary on like what's happening in America mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, he wants it to be more timeless of that, right? He, he doesn't yeah. want it to be that specific, but yeah. Um, Until we get to but, next season and then we have uh, stand-ins for like current Congress uh, people. Yeah. Where he's just, he's going to be like really blunt about everything. Who is Med Moose? <laughs> who is this Med Moose character? <laughs> Senator Med Moose. Okay, anyway. That's um, uh, who has like the, the these big He's vacationing giant... on he's vacationing on Niamos while his <laughs> his planet is freezing to death. And and he's an alien with <laughs> giant mutton chop tentacles. <laughs> okay, I found the quote I was trying to read earlier. Yes. Um the second season. Uh, is not about Cassian becoming radicalized. It is very much about how difficult is it for the Rebel Alliance to come together with all the outliers and original gangsters. Different agendas and betrayals, the tension for the next four years as things pull together, the effect of time on people. Um, But I don't look past that because my characters don't know what's going to happen after that, end quote. So, um, yeah, it's... I I think we're going to see more of like 
people try like it's going to be about like people trying to come together and failing and and three steps forward and two steps back um i'm gonna be honest it sounds equally interesting to me as somebody who's interested in what tony gilroy is interested in but it sounds like a less exciting or satisfying through line like the the through line for season one is cassian andor commits to the rebellion like that's he goes from not giving a shit to committing to the rebellion. Season two is like he's part of the rebellion, and now he's going to try to push people towards rebelling, and it's not going to be successful all the time. And in fact, there's probably going to be ma- major obstacles and blah 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 blah. And I'm just like, that sounds very realistic and interesting, but like I worry that it will be, you know, I'm 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 kind of fascinated by how they're going to make that interesting. Do you know well, what I'm saying? Y- you say that, but. Thinking ahead to, you know, where, like, where things are when Rogue One happens, like, the, even though they haven't had the Battle of Yavin yet, the Galactic Civil War is happening. Like, like, the Rebellion is, is in full swing. They, they have, like, fleets of X-Wings and stuff like that. And so I'm imagining this will be about, like, uh, staging attacks and battles and but but like trying to like coordinate different factions and stuff like that you know things like at the beginning of uh you know rogue one when they're like you know breaking Jin out of like an imperial prison transport and stuff like that i imagine mm-hmm. it's gonna be all stuff like that like mm. a lot of like guerrilla fighting and like trying to wage this war um and then just the like the internal conflicts happening at the same time like uh and what what I'm excited about with it is it's funny I've I've seen so much talk on you know on on Twitter people saying like oh man I'm I'm can't wait to like rewatch Rogue One uh you know a- after this and obviously we watched Rogue One before this and and especially like now after Andor I kind of like I I feel like my frustrations with Rogue One are even like heightened a little bit because I'm like mm-hmm. ah what like what if that movie could have been as like written as well as mm-hmm. Andor is, and yeah. uh, like now, now that we see like all the potential right there, like oh my god, like like uh, see like like ha- how much more vividly drawn like Cassian could have been, and uh, and and what I'm I'm excited about is, you know, like a scene that has always frustrated me in Rogue One is uh, af- after they have the uh, that that attack uh, where. Um, Galen Erso is killed yeah. where the like the rebels are trying to kill him uh and you know on, on the very rainy planet and then it jumps over to Yavin uh as the, they're all sitting around like like the, the big table even uh you know Bail Organa is there and they're all arguing about what to do and if if, if they should uh, you know, like now that they know about the Death Star and stuff like that, and what frustrates me there is suddenly Jyn Erso goes from like I hate this to uh to like leading the charge and saying rebellions are built on hope, and I'm like that's too much of a jump. But but that that idea there that the the rebel is uh, that the rebellion is all these people like squabbling around a table, and yeah. it's like you barely see any of it in the movie and they don't have the time to like develop any of the people who were arguing at that table. But the Mm -hmm. idea of having a whole season of television to actually flesh that out and turn it into a a real thing, I think could be really interesting, especially while there's battles and uh, like happening all over the place. Yeah. That's my, that's my mental image of season two and why I'm excited about it. Yeah, also, I think because it's more Andor, and that is good. 
<laughs> I completely agree. Uh, well, I, I am also really excited for it. Uh, so uh, I, I don't mean to imply that I'm not. I think I'm just like, huh. Like, it sounds like it's going to be a bit more messy. Even season one was messy in different ways, but season two feels like it's going to be pretty messy. All right. Um, final question. We're going to go out on this one. Go out on this one, Patrick. Ben in Boston writes into decodingtvgmail.com. I've heard you guys talk about how much you enjoy the hammer guy in the Ferrex clock tower. Do you know what the name of this character is? The time grappler. He is in an interview. Tony Gilroy referred to him as the time grappler. IMDb confirms this is the character name. Uh, is this is the character's name? Is this the greatest character name in Star Wars? Um, it's that or Therm Scissor Punch, <laughs> uh, or Dexter Jester. I'm going to put this out there. Um, here's the thing about the Time Grappler. I think Time Grappler is just his job. If that's a profession, as in you could grow up to be a Time Grappler. Do you know? Do you know what the character's name is? No. The character's name according to IMDb, is somebody named Neil Bell. <laughs> so, uh, oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. That is the actor who portrays him, is Neil Bell. It was destiny that he's going to ring a bell on the show. Yeah, I mean, not really a bell, but, you know, same same idea. Same yeah. idea. Yeah, it's but basically think, a bell. It, it's amazing that Neil Bell, the time grappler, you know, <laughs> rings the Ferrex equivalent of a bell. Neil Bell, the time grappler, sounds yeah. like an amazing movie. A hundred percent, hundred percent. When are uh, we going to get that Disney Plus spinoff? You know, seriously. And also, one thing I'm I'm, I'm just going to say, uh, I I I, t- I tweeted about this recently, but like, like guys, hurry up with the Andor action figures. I let like I what I said because I'm I I don't usually let myself buy action figures because that's a that's a dark rabbit hole with no end, and then before I know it, I have no space in my apartment and no money left. But um, but if they make Cyril Karn. Dejamiro and Brasso, those I will buy the day they hit stores. And you know what? I'm adding one to the list. If they make a time grappler action figure, mm-hmm. the, like Star Wars Black Series, I'm getting that. So come on, guys. Like, you're just leaving money on the table right now. 100%. Like, please help me help you get some more of my money is the thing, right? Uh, okay. I think that's going to bring us to the end here. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I am really grateful for the community that has sprung up around this podcast and around the show, uh, and Patrick, grateful that you have joined me in going down this path. Um, so thank you to everyone who's listened, who's written in, especially a big thanks to all the paid supporters at DecodingTV.com who um, pay to make this podcast possible. We really appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you to you, Patrick Willems, for joining me. So, David Chen? I hope you had a great time. Thank you so much for inviting me along uh, on this journey. It's 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 been a delight.